Father, you know all the needs that exist in our small body. Uh, you know those who are dealing with all kind of just medical issues, financial issues, relational issues. You see those things clearly. And so, Father, we now bring those needs and supplications to you and ask that you would meet each of us, Lord, in our pain, meet each of us in all of our responsibilities and our busyness. And so, Lord, we lift these things to you, those who are having car trouble, those who are still grieving the loss of loved ones. We pray that you would meet them, Lord, in their pain, Lord, in their suffering, Lord. We pray for those who, who, who struggle to believe that you're good, those who struggle to believe that they can get out of, out of a cycle of brokenness, poverty, or whatever they may be stuck in, addiction, Lord. Help them to know that, Lord, you are bigger than their problem. Your grace is greater than their struggle. That you love them, even in the midst of the brokenness. If they belong to you, you are not, you would never abandon them, Lord. And so I pray that your spirit would bring encouragement, Father, to those, Lord, who struggle to believe that you're still good to them. So, Lord, again, we do pray for those who don't know you, that you will call them into your wonderful kingdom. Lord, we do pray for the missionaries and ministries that we support. Lord, Trey and Kiki, if they're serving over in Thailand, we pray that you bless them. We pray for Roy and Emily Hubbard, Lord, as they minister at Alabama A&M. Lord, we pray for the Little Link, the Link, Lincoln Academy. We continue to be with them and provide the things that they need, Lord. And, Lord, we pray for our city. We pray for our communities. We pray for our leaders, that they will lead well. Lord, we pray for our body. We continue to draw us closer together as as one flesh. Not one flesh, but as the body of Christ. And, Lord, we do pray for our friend Tam. As she moves on to fulfill her calling, your calling in her life. We pray that you would make things clear for her. You will give her great opportunities. And, Lord, we're going to miss her dearly. And, Lord, we also pray for the person who will come in and, and step in her place, that this person will lead us in worship well, that you give us great wisdom as the elders, as we seek who this person may be. And, Lord, I do pray for the rest of our service in the time of the preaching of the word, that you will be glorified in it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. 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 You sang it, but do you believe it? Do you really believe you need Jesus every hour? Or you just need him for a few seconds? A few minutes? Just need a little bit of Jesus just to get you over the hump. No, you need him every single day. Every day of your existence, you need him. Amen. There was one announcement I forgot to point out to you all. We have a little uh, order of worship for our kids, and we each week we like for them to uh, get one of these to help them follow throughout the sermon and the service. To, but, so we want them to be involved in the whole service. And so that's the whole intent of this order of worship for our kids. And also bring them back, give them to Lau. He wants to collect them each week. I think he may give out some type of candy or something to bring it back. But also the nursery uh, team will be sending out a survey 
uh, this week through email. There will be copies on the back uh, table next week. And I think the survey just to get ideas about the nursery. Is that correct? Yes, suggestions for improvement. So be look out for that email. And also, if you don't have email, there will be some hard copies on the, in the foyer uh, next Sunday. Now, if you have your Bible, we will go to the preaching of God's word. We're still in Judges 6. Judges 6. We're still in the first ten verses. We've been there for a long time, it seems like. But these first ten verses of Judges 6, they, they give us a status update on the people of Israel. It gives us, it tells us about their current situation. And we've talked about two of those already. First, their current situation is one of rebellion. For they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They did what was sinful in the sight of the Lord. And so this evil and this rebellion is idolatry. And idolatry is the worship of false gods. They were living in the sin of idolatry without repenting of it. So rebellion is the, is the first part of the current situation. The second part of the current situation is consequence. Because their rebellion led them into a negative consequence. The Lord God gives them into the hands of Midian. And remember from last week, if you were here last week, remember, consequence, their consequence isn't final judgment. It is not abandonment. It's not abuse. The consequence is discipline. It's discipline. And discipline is is correction that's meant to break them into repentance of their sin. And the people of Israel are being broken into repentance. So the current situation is first rebellion, second it's discipline. And now this morning we're going to look at the third part of their current situation. This third part gives you a colorful picture of their discipline. It gives you the details of what they are experiencing, what they're going through. You get a picture of discipline. Here's the word of the Lord. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains, and the caves, and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people of the east will come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel, no sheep or ox or donkey. For they will come up with their livestock in their tents and they will come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So they would lay waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. And when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on the account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And the prophet said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt. I brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, from the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you, and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am your Lord. I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, 
but you have not obeyed my voice. It's the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, there are parts of the word we don't like to read. Definitely the part that deals with discipline. Because we don't like reading that types of stuff. It's just uncomfortable. But Lord, all your word is for us. Every single bit of it. The New Testament as well as the Old Testament. We don't cherry pick the parts of scripture that we choose to embrace. We embrace the whole counsel of our Lord and King. Even the things that are hard to hear. Even the things that are hard to preach. So Holy Spirit, as we come, we, again, we need you. We need you to move. We need you to take the word and apply it to my heart and apply it to the hearts of everyone that is here. That we may leave here different. We leave here a little bit more encouraged to go back out and fight another week. And so I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would descend upon this place and do a mighty work in our hearts. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Allstate Insurance has a catchy slogan to go along with its hands logo. It says, you're in good hands with Allstate. You're in good hands with Allstate. It's a clever marketing tool because they want you to come to them to get all your insurance needs met. But they're also giving you security and know that when you come to them, you're going to be in good hands. No matter what happens to you. Your house burned down, you're going to be in good hands. Your wrecking car, you're going to be in good hands. Now the people of Israel, they're in some hands too. But it ain't all state hands. Because, see, they're in the hands of discipline. They're in the hands of discipline. The image of this, this image of discipline shows us that the Lord God, when it comes to his people, as a father, he's not just a bunch of talk. He, he doesn't make empty threats. I struggle with that as a dad. Sometimes I make empty threats. He doesn't come to Israel and say, all right, Israel, if you don't do what's right, you're going to get into trouble. He doesn't do that. He doesn't come to them and say, if you don't do right, I'm going to come down to the promised land. I'm going to get you. Empty threats. He doesn't enter into negotiations with his people about discipline. Like our kids do when we want to discipline them. They want to negotiate the terms of what the discipline is going to be. Is it going to hurt? Is it going to be this long? Yahweh does not enter into negotiations over the way he disciplines his people, you and me. He simply told Israel there would be covenant discipline for covenant disobedience. He told them the hand of discipline would come to them if they got into the promised land and started showing out in a negative way. And they showed out. They started worshiping false gods. And so the hand of discipline came. Remember, Yahweh is a God of his word. He does what he says he's going to do. Not just with the promises, but also with the discipline. So discipline has hands. And some of you may be experiencing discipline from the Lord at this moment. Some of you may be. And all kids here, can I see the kids? All the kids here are familiar with the hand of discipline. Are you familiar with the hand of discipline? 
Yes. So what I need you to do, kids, if you're sitting next to an adult, put your hand on their shoulder and say, I understand. I feel you. I see you. I, too, know the hand of discipline. And I know what it feels like. Discipline has hands because it's something that you experience. It touches you. It impacts you. You feel it like a hand to your backside. You feel it. It will hurt. It will be painful. It will be uncomfortable. And that is what the people of Israel are going through. And that is what sometimes we are going to go through when the Lord chooses to discipline us in some form or fashion. He tells it, he says, the Lord gives Israel into the hands of Midian. He gives Israel into the hands of Midian. Midian is used as the hands of discipline for the Lord. And again, Midian is not all state. They're not good hands. So who are these people? The Midianites are descendants of Abraham. Did you know that? From Abraham's son, Midian. Midian was the son that Abraham had with his concubine. Keturah was her name. And so you have these descendants of Abraham who do not worship Yahweh. See, even though they were descendants of Abraham, they are not worshipers of Yahweh. They're pagans, worshipers of false gods. And some scholars believe that, 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 that the Midianites were a league of tribes that joined together. They were not tied to a particular land. So they were nomads. And if you know what nomads are, nomads have no permanent place of residence. They don't have a homeland of their own. So they travel from place to place in large numbers, always seeking a place for their livestock to feed. So they don't stay long. They stay just enough time to consume all the resources of the area. And so at this point, the Midianites have found a great pasture to feed upon. They found the land of milk and honey amongst Israel. And so they're there. And they're not there by accident. They just didn't stumble upon Israel on their journey looking for more land. It was by divine design. Yahweh led them there because he's going to use them to discipline his people. And this is what one of the lessons you see of faith is that Yahweh uses even non-believers to fulfill his purposes. And he's currently using a group of pagans to discipline the people who are called by his name. They're used as his instruments. Yeah, Israel is being disciplined by a group of people they used to be like. Did you know they used to be nomads, right? Wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And now I find it interesting that the Lord is using people who they used to be like to bring discipline upon them. A lesson of faith here is that the Lord can use anyone or anything as a hand of discipline in your life. He can use anyone or anything as a hand of discipline in your life. And you don't get to negotiate who that person is or who that thing is. He doesn't need your permission to do it. And he disciplines you. Why? Because he loves you. I know it doesn't feel like love. It never feels like love. But it is love. It's not abuse. It's not final judgment. And the point of his discipline is to is a correction that's meant to break us into repentance. That's what he does it for. Because if we're living in sin, that means we're not convicted by it. And he has to discipline us so that we can have a conviction that leads to repentance. And we're all on this journey here. There's no escaping it. You can't hide from it. Every believer at some point goes through discipline from the Lord. 
We all do. There are no favorites. We can't trick you. We can't say, oh, that was their fault. I didn't do that. No, the Lord knows. He sees you. We can't play cat and mouse games. You know, when I was a kid, I used to run around the bed with my mom when she chased me with the belt, you know, trying to, not, trying to avoid the discipline. We can't do that with God. There is no escaping it. There is no cat and mouse game. So we all go through it. And when we go through it, the hand of discipline can at times be overpowering at times, like it is for the people of Israel. The hand of discipline is overpowering them. Verse 2a says, the hand of Midian overpowers Israel. The hand of Midian overpowers Israel. So discipline has a hand, and discipline can also be overpowering. And this hand that's overpowering Israel has been doing it for a long time. It's been overpowering Israel for a long time. For seven years, they were in the hands of the Midianites. Seven years. Think about that. A seven-year discipline. Many of us can't handle a minute of time out. You don't own seven years of it. That's 2,555 days of no TV. Oh, no college football, no shopping, no video games, no smartphone, no iPad, no spend time with your friends, no vacation. You, seven years of you not doing anything you want to do. And what you feeling right now, what you're thinking right now is what Israel is thinking. That's overpowering, Pastor. Like I said, it's hard. It can be painful. It can be uncomfortable. But discipline is not final judgment. You got to remember that. This correction meant to lead you into repentance. And Israel right now, they're being broken by the people, by the Midianite people. The NIV translation says the power of Midian is oppressive. So, so what does that mean? How are they oppressing Israel? Midianites, they are massive in their numbers. There's a lot of them. But they're not on a military campaign. It's not an invasion to, to have a hostile takeover. They're, they're not enslaving the Israelites. So the Israelites don't have to hide their wives and hide their kids. So they're not doing those things. Remember, the Midianites, they're nomads. And nomads are always on the search for new pastures for their livestock. So they're not going to destroy the land because they need it. They need what the land produces. They want the milk and the honey of the promised land. So the hand of discipline overpowers Israel. By attacking the works of their hand. Look at verse 3. For whenever Israel planted crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people of the east will come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no subsistence in Israel. No sheep, no ox, or donkey. I mean, they took over everything. These three groups of people are massive in numbers. So there's so many of them, you can't count. You can't count all the animals. And they will come up with all their livestock in the camp against Israel. That means they will set up temporary residence. They set up their tents. And remember, they're nomads looking for food for their livestock. And they consumed the land, consumed their milk and the honey. Verse 5 says, For they will come up with their livestock in their tents, and they will come like locusts in number. Come like locusts, coming to consume, coming to take. 
without permission, both they and the Campbells could not be counted. And they will lay waste, lay waste the land as they come in. And they will leave Israel with no sustenance, no nourishment. They consume all the produce of the land with all of Israel's livestock. So the hand of discipline over them is overpowering. They're outnumbered, they're outmanned, and they're even intimidated. So I hope you understand what and see what Israel is experiencing here. This happened year after year for seven years. Year after year for seven years. These people will come up at harvest time and take all their crops and all their livestock over and over again. This was not a one-time village raid. It was a cycle. Every year at harvest time, they will come. So this is like you buying groceries, putting them in your food pantry, then someone you don't know coming to your house, set up shop, raise your food, then leave. You go back and replace it, and they come back again. doesn't make any sense, does it? But that's what was happening. It's like Cousin Eddie for Christmas vacation. <laughs> or if you watch the TV show Martin, it's a broad man from the fifth floor. They come in, they take what you want, and then they leave. And throughout the rest of the year, and here's the thing that, that is very heartbreaking, that throughout the rest of the year, these groups of people let Israel do all the labor. They let them plant the crops. They let them water the crops. They let them tilt and cultivate the land. They let them raise the sheep and the goats. And then at harvest time, they come in and take everything. Did you see that? That's, they, didn't help, they didn't help do any of the work, but they took the benefits of the work. And this happened over and over and over again for seven years. So how do you feel if you're laboring hard for something and you don't get to enjoy the fruit of it? That is what they're experiencing, and that is their discipline from the Lord. They're not getting to enjoy the labor of their hands. They're not. And the Lord can do that to us at times as well. Others weeping the benefits and the fruit of your work and your labor. You do all the sweating and you don't get to enjoy the results. It can be materially, financially, vocational, whatever. The Lord can discipline us that way. Israel is not reaping the benefits of the land, the promised land, the milk and honey. They're not. But... Israel, they tried to get themselves out from under the discipline. And so they created these dens in the mountains because they were hiding food there because they still had to eat. So they were storing things there. So, so the people, when they came in for their raid, would not take everything. But even in, in these dens that they made for themselves to store food and livestock, they still was not enough to get them from under the hand of discipline, to get Midianites out of their country. They still needed Yahweh to come in. They still needed him to come in to deliver them. The text says in verse 6, Israel was brought low because of Midian, and the people cried out to the Lord for help. This is the first time in seven years that they cried out. This is what the author is saying. The other years, they were trying to get out themselves. Now in the seventh year, they're crying out. The first time they've cried out to him. They cry out because they're finally broken. They cry out because they finally realize we don't have the strength to get out of where we are. 
So they cry for deliverance because they're finally broken. Being brought low is brokenness. And when they were broken, they cried out to the Lord. And the same is for us. We don't cry out until we're broken. If we think we can fix it ourselves, if we think we can do it ourselves, we ain't going to cry out to him. It's till he breaks us. And we finally see, I cannot get out of where I am unless the Lord moves. Then we cry out. Then we cry out. The book of Judges, there's a pattern. If you know the book of Judges, you know the pattern. The people do it with evil in the sight of the Lord. He disciplines them, and then they cry out for help, then he brings deliverance. That's the whole pattern throughout the whole book of Judges. But here he doesn't immediately send deliverance. Instead, he sends a prophet to the people. And the prophet reminds them that they're experiencing what they're going through is because of what they did. And what they're going through is, 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 is fitting for what they did. And look, look at verses 7 and 8, 7 through 10. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet, not a judge. He sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you from Egypt. I brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the house, from the hand of the Egyptians, and from the hand of all who oppressed you, drove them out before you, and gave you, into, gave you, and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why is he telling them this? He wants them to understand that what the discipline that they are experiencing is not unjust. It's not unfair in the way that he's disciplined them. He tells them, I led you. I brought you out of slavery. I delivered you. I drove out these pagan people. I even gave you their lands. And so here's the thing. Israel is the fruit and result of Yahweh's work and labor, and he's not weeping the benefits of it. He's not getting their praise. You see, he cultivated them. He tilted them. He watered them. He fed them. And he's not weeping the benefits. He's not getting their praise. You know what they're doing? They're giving their praise to gods who did not labor for them. And now they are experiencing what he experienced with them. They're not weeping the benefits of their labor either. Now they know what Yahweh feels like when he's dealing with them over their idol worship. And sometimes, again, he disciplines us the same way. Not weeping the benefits of what we work for because we fail to give him our worship. Instead, we give it to other things that are not God. And so when he's disciplining you that way, just know that's what you do to him. You give his worship to other things. Because he's planted you. He watered you. He provided for you. He cultivated you. He delivered you. He led you to where you are. And yet we give our worship to lesser things. Our worship, our praise, our honor, our adoration is to Yahweh Elohim. Everything that you have, you have because he gave it to you. Not because you're smart enough. He gave it to you. If he decides to take it away, it's gone. 
because he is God. And he would not allow us to give our, his worship to another. And so he disciplines us to, to bring us to a place of repentance so that we can give him our worship, our allegiance. Again, again, it's not final judgment. It's love. He disciplines you because he loves you. Discipline is meant to bring you to a place of repentance. The hand of discipline is something that you experience. It can overpower you, and it will lead you to cry out to the Lord, help me. Help me. That's a cry of repentance. That's a cry of repentance. So if you're caught in some, this morning, some form of discipline from the Lord, and then, again, he still loves you. Don't think he hates you. Don't think it's final judgment because it's not. Because final judgment for your sin as believer was poured out on Christ on the cross. And that is what that table should remind you of today if you are stuck in some distance from the Lord. That was judgment. What you're going through is not judgment. It may feel like it, but it's not. It's not judgment. It's never abuse. It's never abandonment. It's never him forsaking you. Because, again, this table points us to the place where God poured out all his wrath for sin. Every part of your sin was nailed to the cross, if you are a believer, paid for through Christ's blood. He covers all your sin. Think about that for a moment. So that means that as you struggle with sin now, you are not on a final judgment. You are not being condemned for it. His wrath is not covering you because he poured out that wrath upon Jesus fully. So that means as you struggle with sin, it's never him saying, I'm casting you into the pits of hell. It's never that. Because he poured all his wrath upon Jesus on the cross. And so we come to this meal and realize that the cross is where our sin debt has been counted. Your sin debt has been paid in full. Fully on the cross. And when, and when God sees you, he sees the blood of Jesus over you. As Lyle said, he gets all your sin and you get all of his righteousness at the cross. His blood doesn't cover Half of your sin. His blood doesn't cover 2% of your sin. It's all of it. It's covered in Jesus. But you have to believe it. 100% guaranteed you have forgiveness in Christ. So if you're tired of shame, if you're tired of living in guilt, if you're tired of living in frustrations, then if you never came to Jesus, you need to come to Jesus today. That's where you need to be. Come to him today. And so before we do the elements, I'd like to ask the officers who are helping to come up front. Now this table is for those of you who have surrendered your life to Jesus in faith. Now if you don't know Christ, you know, we love you. I consider it an honor that you are here. And if you have questions of what it means to have faith in Christ, then you need to come see me after the service, and we can talk about what that means. 
And also, adults, it, we ask that the kids with you abstain from the elements until they've been invited to the table by the church that you attend. Now, all my kids, I need all the kids looking at me. Can I see your faces? This is always my favorite part when we have communions where I get to communicate to you. Because this meal is just, is a, this table shows you what Christ did for you on the cross. Each and every one of you, he died for your sins. As your pastor, it's my honor, hopefully my joy, I get to see one day you will be able to take this meal with your parents too. So until that happens, just know that Jesus died on the cross. That happened. And that when you come to faith in him, all your sins, everything that you've done wrong is forgiven on the cross. And it's my prayer that each and every one of you will come to faith one day and get to partake of this meal. So until then, please watch and observe what we do today. Now I want us to have a time of preparation, asking the Holy Spirit to prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Blessed is the man whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. You are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. I would bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. How precious is your steadfast love, O Lord.
Christ's body broken for you. Eat of it, all of you. In the same manner, he also took the cup, and having given thanks, gave it to his disciples, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many. For the remission of sins. Preserve me, O God. For in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield, the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And I'm saved from all my enemies. Have mercy on me, O Lord, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression, my sin is ever before me. Against you and only you have I sinned. This is Christ's blood shed for your sins. Your past, present, future sins all covered in his blood. Drink of it, all of you. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will supernaturally use the Lord's table, use the Lord's supper to nourish us spiritually, Lord. What happens in this meal is highly supernatural. And so we pray that you will use it to encourage and strengthen the body of Christ here in this local congregation as we move forward into another work week, Lord. Be with us, sustain us, equip us, and also, Lord, if we are under some form of discipline from you today, help us to always know that it's love and not final judgment because judgment for our sin was poured upon Christ on Calvary. And now, Lord, we are free. We are truly free. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please let us stand as we close our service today.